0: The hustle and bustle of the holiday season is sneaking up on us, and if your family is anything like mine, they're already asking what you want for the holidays. Or maybe you're just feeling like your flock deserves a gift that keeps on giving. Henny and Roo just might be the
1: answer. Henny and Roo's monthly subscription box includes products that may not be available to you at your local feed store. The box has a variety of items, ranging from things to add to your first aid kit, treats for your hens and roos, and there's always something for the chicken keeper. It's the perfect gift to ask for for yourself or to gift your chickens for the holiday season.
0: So go to hennyandroo.com and use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout to get 10% off your first subscription box. Oh, hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Beth. What's your opening over there?
1: I just opened an Alassa hard kombucha, mm. and it's the berry ginger flavor this time.
0: Ooh, yummy. So healthy over there.
1: Mm. <laughs> right? Well, I'm trying to be. I mean... I don't know how successful I'm being, but, you know, gut health.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: So what'd you open over there?
0: So today I have a Uncle John's Hard Cider, and it's a premium cider um, called Deep Roots. Mm. And it's a blend of apples from orchards that have been in the ground for at least 50 years, along with other heirloom varieties. And it has citrus and green apple aromas with a crisp, clean finish. And I picked this up yesterday. Well, we're recording this on a Monday. So I picked this up yesterday uh, when we were at Uncle John's Cider Mill with the kids. It was kind of perfect because their mom picked them up from there. So after they were picked up, we, like, went into the tasting room. Because that wouldn't have been fun for them when they were with us. right <laughs> so we went into the tasting room and got to try some stuff that i don't have easily available to me around here even though uncle john's is like a, less than an hour from my house um so that was a lot of fun to try some of their premium or more exclusive things yesterday and this was definitely a favorite so if you can find it around you i highly recommend it sounds delish mm-hmm And welcome
1: to We Drink and We Farm
0: Things. Yes, this is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages,
1: talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect
0: farm life. We keep it real with you, and we share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain for our community of both small and large scale farmers. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. But we cut a lot
1: of those tangents and stick them up on the Patreon.
0: We also have fun things uh, on our Patreon feed, like some exclusive recordings, and sometimes we post pictures, and it's an excellent way to support the podcast starting at $2 a month.
1: And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by At Thimbleworks, which is Montana
0: Coombs. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right. Do we have any corrections or follow-up this week?
1: No, not a thing. Not yet, anyways. (laughs) Not yet.
0: (laughs) Maybe later. Perhaps later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great news. All right. So I think we can just jump right into our episode this week, then. So this week, um, Bev and I kind of went back and forth a little bit about what to talk about. And I was like, well, you know, I started kind of making lists for a winterization. So... Do you want to talk about how we're going to do that? And neither of us really have like super solid plans yet. It sounds like like we have general (laughs) ideas of what the heck we need to do before it starts snowing. But I just saw that there's supposed to be snow in the forecast overnight, like this Friday in Michigan. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, (gasps) okay, that's probably going to turn to rain by the time we get there. But it's giving me a little bit of anxiety. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And I've done
1: absolutely nothing to prepare so far. I think I have something in my Amazon cart, but <laughs> like there's just so much to do right now. I'm having trouble figuring out how to break it down so that it doesn't, I don't know. Like I, I'm i one of those people, like when I hit a project, if I can't figure out how to put the pieces in the right order, I just stare at it
0: mm-hmm. and <laughs> can't move. Well, um, for those of you that don't know, Bev and I have big kid jobs outside of here. So Bev, do you want to high level explain what you do in your real big kid job for the newbies around here? Yeah. So
1: I am an accountant, but my job is actually the general manager of an environmental consulting firm, which sounds super fancy, but I swear it's not. I'm basically just the person that makes sure that the business stays open and running and funded so i do everything from paying bills to hiring employees to writing all of our contracts and budgets to make sure that we get our projects done in time for the right amount of money Mm -hmm. and that the money keeps coming basically (laughs) all very
0: important all very important yes (laughs) And I am a program manager at a health information technology company. And what that means is I oversee a group of projects that are related, but different enough that they can't roll up into the same project. And it's really like delineated based on um, funding source. But I oversee a project myself and I oversee a bunch of other ones to make sure we're optimally Integrating things at the right time, everything staying in budget, um, that sort of thing. So lucky for Bev and I, our skills are transferable not only to this podcast um, and keeping it running because Bev has talents with numbers that I do not. And i can help keep things going along with her um, because that's functions that are just kind of ingrained in both of us but those skills are also transferable to the farm so we kind of wanted to take some of our big kid job lives and our farm lives and meld them together to hopefully help you guys not feel so overwhelmed as you're trying to get through some big projects like winterization before the snow flies So today, Sam's gonna kind of nerd out about the different project management phases um, that can be applied to any project. And just so you're aware, you don't have to follow these phases to be successful in anything you do on the farm. But me personally, I like a good plan. I like process. It makes me feel less stressed out. Um, I know Bev is a big fan of checklists. And with our powers combined, Hopefully we can help you get organized so you don't feel as crazy um, like I felt initially when I started making my list, uh, especially headed (laughs) into the winter.
1: (laughs) Right. And I really like this and I think everyone else is going to really like this episode also because I read a lot of business books and business management books because, you know, we're technically entrepreneurs also because Mm -hmm. of this podcast so I'm constantly trying to hone those skills as well and a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about are things that they talk about in those books and I had never thought to apply it to the farm so I think this is going to really like just change the way that I do things around here and you're right I totally like checklists and I like systems and processes I'm a systems and processes person because otherwise my brain can just go so wild with all of my dreams and ideas and thoughts that if I don't have a way to rein them in and organize them, I I never get started. Like I said, I'll just stare there and think of all the cool things I could be doing (laughs) without actually doing
0: them. (laughs) So... Uh, Today, we're going to cover the five phases of project management, and we're going to link to a handy article that I found this morning when we were pulling together the little final pieces of the notes for today's episode, Um, and it's from smartsheet.com, and it just really broke down the different phases really simply, Um, and it was kind of a good reminder to myself because we just started our fiscal year at work, and I'm doing a lot of um phase one right now so it was really good to go through this and um kind of give myself a reminder for my big kid job and for the farm which is always nice right oh definitely yeah i need a reminder because like (laughs) with any size project you should really consider these steps um but i do think it's important to point out (laughs) that if your goat is like spontaneously giving birth because she didn't know she was pregnant you can't tell her to hold on while you go through all these phases or at least get through the first couple phases um, to be properly prepared to care for those kids. Uh, sometimes the farm's gonna make it, so you have to think on your feet um, and you won't be able to do this. So you do have to be flexible, but for bigger projects, this will be good for you. If you like checklists and organizations and thrive in that environment.
1: One thing that's really good about this is I feel like it can help take some of the craziness away Mm -hmm. from those moments. Because you're not constantly working in chaos and panic mode. Because there is so much that you can plan ahead for. Mm
0: -hmm. Like winter. And like when you know your goat's pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So phase one is project initiation and this is the start of a project and this is where you're defining the goals of the project at a very broad level and this is where you'll start researching what is feasible and what you can and can't do. So you are totally allowed to stay broad at this point. Um, last week, for example, I started by my winterization brainstorming process by standing next to each place on the farm that needed winterization and creating a list on my phone of what needs to be done to get ready for winter. Like where do I need heaters? What needs to be wrapped in plastic? Do enclosures need to be moved? But I'm not answering like what kind of heaters, what kind of plastic, where exactly I'm gonna move things right now. It's just creating that like first level of what do I need? And then later we'll get into more of the details. So it's really easy to spiral here if you let yourself. The second piece you'll want to consider here, too, is who are the important stakeholders that will do their due diligence to help decide if the project is a go. Um, So this might be your family, this could be uh, someone you talk to on Instagram to bounce ideas off of, Um, or it could just be yourself that you're talking to, depending on the size of the project. Um, you'll want to determine if you do need help with this project. Do you need buy-in from people that are helping you? Um, and can those people help identify things you may have missed in the very high level planning? Like maybe you missed that, you know, the whole enclosure movement piece. Maybe you didn't even think of that. If it's possible, if you have smaller coops, um, maybe they've identified something and they're just at a higher level that, that you might've missed. Like my omelet coop. You know, I definitely need to think of a completely different waterer there because it's just kind of like this bucket thing. And maybe they could have pointed that out to me as they were going around the farm with me.
1: Well, and this step is also especially important because then you won't end up with things that you plan to do but couldn't execute on your own. So Mm -hmm. like wrapping the coop run in plastic, if you're not capable of doing that by yourself and you need buy-in from your husband or one of your older kids or someone else to help you, you talk to them about that before you get the materials because otherwise they're just sitting in your barn and they don't get used and you wasted money and mental effort planning that phase when
0: you didn't have them agree to help you with it. It kind of reminds me when you decided you were going to make do the electric fence around your garden. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but you, you were easily, you were kind of in the next phase, which is project planning, but you were able to like step back to phase one to like rethink everything that you were going to need. With your husband to help you for phase two, so it's okay (laughs) to go backwards, guys. If you miss something, Um, yes, (laughs) because sometimes you think you think it's gonna be something, be one thing, but you have to get to the project planning phase, which is phase two, to understand exactly like what you're getting into. Um, so the fa- this phase is key to successful project management and focuses on developing what we call a roadmap that everyone can follow. So it's like a project plan or a schedule. Um, and this phase typically begins with setting goals because having clear goals and scope will give the project boundaries. And this will help you stay on track. So something I experience at work a lot is called scope creep, which means that you have your basic set of requirements But then people just come in with all their really good ideas, and they're nice-to-haves. And before you know it, your scope is just kind of like the blob, and it's slowly moving across the floor, and it's expanding, (laughs) and it's just going to eat you up. So this is an opportunity to define, okay, for winterization, it means this. So... Keep that in mind that it's good to write this stuff down because when things start getting stressful again or continue to grow, you can go back and say, nope, this is what we're doing. Unless somebody gives you a really good reason why you should be adding scope to that project.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love how you described it as the blob, just like (laughs) eating things. That's an 80s horror movie, right? Yeah, yes, it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) It's November, but see, I'm still thinking about Halloween. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you think about Halloween all year. (laughs) I do. I do. So in order to come up with goals, there are two really popular methods um, for setting goals, and they're called SMART and CLEAR. For my brain, I like to use SMART goals for the farm because it feels more relatable to smaller projects where you don't have a bunch of people helping you. So we're gonna outline SMART today and give examples of how that maps to winterizing chicken coops. And then we'll go over clear just so you guys understand both options.
1: This SMART method is one of the ones that Michael Hyatt uses, which is a well-known uh, like business coach, I guess, for lack of a better hmm. word to describe him. He wrote a book called Your Best Year Ever, and I've read it once. I need to read it again because I didn't actually apply anything from it yet, but it's sitting on my desk. Um, but that was where I first heard about this method, and I didn't realize that it was a common method that was used across industries and, and people. <laughs> It's
0: just so smart. Mm, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so this SMART method helps ensure that goals are thoroughly vetted before they're set, and it also provides a way to clearly understand the implement- implications of goal setting of the goal setting process. So, the acronym stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So for specific, you want to ask yourself the who, what, where, when, why of the goal. So let's say the goal is winterizing the chicken coop. So the who is who needs to help? Can you do this yourself? Do you want or need help? Sometimes you can do something by yourself, but it might take a little longer. Um, So wanting help is totally valid, especially if it's going to help speed up your timeline. And then for what, you want to ask yourself, what will it take to winterize the chicken coop? What supplies do you need? For where, you want to consider the location of the coop. Can you move it? Does it need to move? Or does the location make you need to wrap the entire run? Do you need to just wrap like, you know, a few sides of it so they can still look out, but they won't be impacted by the wind? So you want to consider that. For when when is the op- optimal time to do this winterization and most likely that's going to be like a day where the weather's cooperating it's not windy so you're not fighting against a big thing of plastic trying to wrap, <laughs> wrap the coop which we've totally done before um you probably not when it's snowing not when it's raining but you also have to consider when it needs to be done by and is there an order that it needs to go in And then finally, for why, why is it necessary to complete this project and or this specific goal? And is it a nice thing to do or is it a necessary thing to do? Because obviously for winterizing the chicken coop, it's necessary to keep our chickens happy and healthy. Um, But what does that actually look like? So I have one thing to add to
1: where. Uh, Where is also the place where you can list where your sources are going to be from. So like, where are you going to pick up the Mm. necessary supplies? Because depending on where you live, that could actually get tricky and it could require multiple trips to different towns Or can you order everything off Amazon, for example, or whatever your local farm store is? Like TSC, you can order all your shit, and they'll hold it for you, and you can go pick it all up and not have to walk around the store and look for it.
0: (laughs) There you go, yes. Now, the second part of this for measurable um, is making sure you can actually measure the task that you're doing. in order to understand the progress you've made. So for example, a a measurable goal or task would be moving the chicken coop to an area where the wind is not as much of a factor, um, plugging in chicken heaters, that's measurable, you can check that off the list, and wrapping the run in plastic. So having really clear defined goals will help you too, to not feel like you're not entirely sure what you're doing here. (laughs) if this might be your first rodeo you might not be able to write down every single task and goal you know a hundred percent but that's okay because you're learning through the process and you also want to make sure those measurable goals are attainable and I think that those goals that we laid out are absolutely attainable so we'll give an example of what's not attainable for winterization and that would probably be building a brand new roof over a very large run area and creating a heated water system from scratch using found materials before the snow flies, all while working full time and taking care of kids. Just reading that sentence makes me feel exhausted.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, me too. And you know that building a brand new roof over the large run, that's something that's been on my list now for this is the third year. (laughs) Yeah,
0: same. Yep.
1: I keep starting it too late it needs to go on the to-do list like in the spring
0: (laughs) yeah we're in the same boat I've wanted to redo the run fencing for like two years now and I was like this is gonna be the season and it wasn't like we don't even have a door out there we don't have a roof so I mean it looks like it might be a mild winter um so let's hope so (laughs) otherwise the chickens are just gonna spend a lot of time in the coop which is okay too they'll be fine. So you also want to consider if your goals or tasks are realistic. Um, Is what you're asking yourself to do and the way you're planning to do it attainable? Or will you just kind of make yourself crazy? Um, And then make sure it's timely. What time frame can you achieve the goals and tasks by? So figuring out like, when am I going to be able to go plug in waters that I already have? Um, that's really attainable and easy to measure compared to when am I going to put a new roof on. um, That takes a different level of planning and maybe even something that you'd have to phase, do different phases of. So it's easier to chunk out the work in a way where you can kind of phase it out and tackle one bit at a time um, to stay within your time frame. And then just really quick, we also mentioned CLEAR goals, which is a newer method for setting goals that takes into consideration the environments of today's fast-paced businesses. So this is clearly laid out for like the business world, um, but CLEAR stands for collaborative, limited, emotional, Appreciate, appreciable, <laughs> and refinable. So collaborative is that the group is encouraged to work together. Limited is making sure the scope is limited and not blob like, like we were just talking about. Emotional um, means that the goals are tapping into passions, a passion within the person or the group that's um, doing the work, so they can form an emotional connection to the work because this can really help the quality of the work. Appreciable is breaking larger goals into smaller tasks that can be quickly achieved. And refinable is as new situations arise, you can be flexible and refine goals as needed. So you can absolutely kind of do a a mesh of clear and smart if that's going to help you achieve your goals. It's totally up to you um, how you want to approach it. But those are some great guidelines for helping you um, walk through the process without planning something that's too big for you.
1: I really like how the clear goals has emotional as one of them, because a lot of the things that we do around the farm do have an emotional component to it. Like, we want to winterize our chicken coop because we don't want our chickens to suffer mm-hmm. with frostbite on their combs and waddles. Like, that helps to give you a reason why you want to plot all of the things out correctly and make sure that they get done. That emotional piece um, is can be really critical, depending on your personality.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point Um, because sometimes when you're doing a project, you're like, why the hell am I doing this? If you can go back and kind of review that, why it might give you the gas you need to just keep moving. So during this um, planning phase, it's, this is where you're going to define the scope of the project. Um, And it's also a time where you're identifying the cost, quality, available resources, and a realistic timetable. And budget is so important, Um, and you want to ask yourself things like, can you reuse things you used last year, like plastic? Um, Can you save items this year to reuse next year? And how much are you going to spend on water heaters? Maybe you need to think through this based on your income stream, and this could definitely impact timeline. And an example of this, for my own personal thinking through of things already, I need to buy more rabbit water heaters. And for the sake of time, I'm going to purchase something and not craft something new. And rabbit water heaters at TSC cost around $20 to $25, and I need three of them. So my plan is to buy one per a pay period when I do my bi weekly feed run. And this means that I'll need to buy all, or I'll be able to buy all three by the end of November. So is that going to work for my timeline? Or do I need to cut back financially in another area to buy maybe two at once or all three at once in order to beat the whole debacle of water bottles freezing. So depending on your current financial situation, um, that might define how you're doing things. Um, and also you got to think of variables like what if the day that I go to TSC, there aren't any available. Um, So that could push your timeline back. (laughs) That happens. (laughs) Yes. Or you might have to go on Amazon and order one and it could cost more. It could be cheaper. So um, those are things you want to think through too.
1: Yeah. And that area will also give you the opportunity to kind of evaluate whether or not there is an alternative. Like I'll use an example. I went to TSE the other day to pick up a bunch of stuff that I needed and I almost grabbed another stock tank trough because I only have one. But we have two pastures now. So currently, Herc is using a bucket, which is not big enough for him. (laughs) But he's in the area that has the shelter right now, because the goats go in every night from the pasture that Herc's shelter is currently being built in and doesn't have a roof or walls yet. So I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to buy this stock tank, and that'll solve my problem. And then I stopped, and I was like, wait. If I buy another stock tank, I'm going to have to buy another stock tank heater, which Mm. is like 40 bucks off of Amazon. like, do I need another stock tank heater or can the goats get by with the heated dog dishes that we had last year? And I ultimately decided the goats can get by with the heated dog dishes. And hopefully Herc will be back into the pasture that has the stock tank before winter because then he'll have plenty of unfrozen water. Over there. And so I saved myself 40 bucks and another, like, what is it, 80 or 90 bucks for a stock tank? Mm -hmm. All because I thought, like, yeah, I don't need that until spring. So we're going to be fine because the goats can totally use a dog dish. And then I moved on. I'm like, all right, I'll just order one. I'm
0: good. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good example. Yeah. Um, Lastly, for this planning phase, this is a time where if you're working with a group of people or with your spouse, you can sit down and clearly define who's doing what and who's accountable for what part of the project. Like you might want to define who's going to go pick up the supplies and who's going to do the actual building. Are you doing it together? Is your spouse kind of like Sam's where he doesn't really ask for a lot of help unless he absolutely needs to for whatever reason? (laughs) Or is it you guys really like getting in there together? Like defining how that's going to go ahead of time can save you some headache and maybe even some fights um, if everybody understands what they're doing ahead of time. And now we're in the project execution phase! Woohoo! This is where shit gets real! Um, (laughs) And this is where uh, the work is really you know developed or executed and it's completed. So this often feels like the meat of the project since a lot is happening during this time. Uh, So this is where we do the things. So before you do the things make sure you have at the very least like a checklist with the dates you'd like to accomplish things if you need to be held accountable to a timeline. And then we move into phase four, which is project performance and monitoring. Um, This phase could go really quick depending on the size of your project. Like if you're just kind of checking off the box, like plug in all of the water heaters, that's probably going to take you like not very much time at all. Um, So this might be more of a necessary phase for... Um, bigger projects, kind of like we're, we were talking about our fencing projects or our roof projects and how those could take <laughs> maybe more than a weekend. Maybe it'll take a couple of weeks and that's where you can monitor, like, how how's the pace going. Um, and in this spot, you can adjust your plan, which is normal and it's okay. What you'll want to do is understand the impact of any adjustments you're making. So does this mean you'll be able to expand or decrease your budget? Um, are we adjusting it because we found an easier way to do things? Uh, does it impact your timeline and the way that it would push it out too far? Um, and can you, the time, can the time be made up doing something differently? So it's totally fine if you're, if you go off plan a little bit here, um, just realize you need to think through the trickle down effect of that. And it's not always necessarily a bad thing sometimes. And I've done this at my job. I'll just say no to something or we're going to stop doing this because you know, in a month we're going to have something else and why make everybody redo something? Um, this is just going to save us money. So it's okay to forward think that way. Just make sure you look at the whole picture before you completely change your plan. And then finally you're in the project closure phase. Um, and this one for on the farm, depending on the size of the project might not totally be necessary. It could just be as simple as like putting away the tools you used to complete the project, or you could, you know, have kind of a lessons learned meeting either with yourself or with whoever you worked with, depending on you know how willing they are to participate um (laughs) (laughs) but it's a good time to like especially if you journal like write down what went really well and maybe even take notes on how to make next year easier when you winterize or just easier in general and if it's like a higher level thing you noticed like maybe excuse me mm, Like maybe um, it would be better for you to go shopping for the supplies instead of your spouse because you have it in your head what you want. Maybe you can't verbalize it or write it down in a way that they're gonna understand. So maybe that's just your general routine for any project on the farm, is that you go get the supplies, Um, things like that. So you wanna take that opportunity to do what we refer to as like a postmortem to evaluate what went well in the project and identify what failed.
1: I really like doing postmortems, and in fact, that's something that I have sort of built into my own personal routine whenever I do something. I talk to myself a lot about what could have gone better, because I feel like learning lessons from the things and the projects that we do and work on can just help us be more efficient like later on down the road.
0: Yes, I agree all right so that's it guys we really hope that that is helpful to you um it maybe kind of gives you a peek into our personalities a little bit for some of our thought processes behind things it's definitely something i want to be more intentional about when i'm tracking to it Um, just because it's gonna mean that when i do need my spouse to help me with something i have a list of things that i can effectively communicate to him and that we can refer back to if we start feeling kind of lost. So hope this is helpful and we hope you are not freaking out over winterization like we're trying not to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But we've already seen snow in like Montana and Canada. So some of you guys might have already totally done your winterization, um, but you guys get the idea. You can apply this um, process to any project you have on the farm. For sure. And now it's time for weekend even corner. Woohoo! Hip hip hooray. Hooray. What do you got for us this week, Bev? So this week, I actually didn't have anything
1: until this morning, but then I <laughs> discovered that the dodo has a on-the-farm area. Yes, it does. So I was like, <laughs> yes, I can find something really cool that's farming related on here. And I found a cute video from August of a girl with autism that finds therapy with her chicken flock. And Uh. it's really short. It's super cute. I'm not going to describe the whole thing here because I think that you should go watch it and there will be a link to it in the show notes. But what I really pulled from it was um, one of the things that is a hallmark sign of, of autism is having trouble connecting with people And she says that she connects with people by imagining them as being members of her chicken flock. Because you know how chicken flocks have a hierarchy and a way that they all communicate and interact with each other? Mm -hmm. She saw that and took that and uses it as a way to compare people to chickens so that she can interact with them in a way that she's capable of, which I just thought was super cool.
0: That is adorable. It really is. So what is your can't even this week? So I also discovered that the dodo has an on the farm section and I was in the same boat as you. I was like looking through things and racking my brain. I couldn't find anything this week until I stumbled across this article um, on the dodo that says family realizes home's been broken into and can't believe who's inside. So I'll quickly read parts of the article here. And it says, when Jen, Kathy's son, arrived at home in Ohio last week after school, he immediately knew something was wrong. The family dog was outside. One of the windows was completely shattered. And he assumed someone had broken in. When he heard noises inside, he realized the intruder was still there and frantically called his mom as he began to investigate. He said, it smells funky in here, Kathy told the dodo. (laughs) He found the goat in the bathroom and ran back outside yelling, Nope, nope, nope. Imagine that call. <laughs> I would have a heart attack. <laughs> right? <laughs> the family quickly notified the police of the unusual intruder, hoping to get a little assistance. Officers with the Ashland County Sheriff's Office arrived as quickly as they could and cautiously entered the house. As they observed this, the destruction the intruder had caused, They were a bit confused as to how a goat could have managed it all and were eager to see who the culprit was themselves. They carefully made their way through the house, and when they heard noises coming from the bathroom, they slowly approached the door and found the alleged intruder fast asleep on the floor of the bathroom. (laughs) So somehow the mischievous goat had smashed his way through the window and then once he was safely inside, decided to take a nap for a while. Luckily, the goat was okay after his ordeal, just a little startled and confused when the officers woke him up from his much-needed nap. Wanting to get him out of the house as quickly as possible, the officers tried to coax the goat to follow them out, and he refused. It took them a few hours to get him out. They tried luring him out and talking nicely for a long time. They were very gentle with him, according to Jen. Despite the goat's reluctance, the officers eventually were able to lead him out of the house and back outside and got him safely back where he belonged. Everyone was pretty amused by the old ordeal and plenty of jokes were made about the very unusual burglar. But the owner of the house did say the doors, floors, porch are all scuffed up. There are minor dings on the walls and definitely could have been worse. But the residual stink is the biggest problem. And if you go to this link, you can see a picture. This guy has his horns, and they're pretty big. So I can understand why they might have been a little nervous or a little cautious. Um, If a goat, you know, that can smash a window (laughs) and get into a house, he's napping. You don't necessarily want to poke the goat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I thought that was pretty cute. So I saw this
1: story when it first came out, um, and I have a theory as to why the goat went into the house. Why is that? I think that he saw his reflection in the sliding glass door and oh. headbutted it for dominance. <laughs> and then when he broke through it, oh, was like, oh.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm going to go inside and take a nap now because I <laughs> dominated, and that was hard work. That's prou- that." Sounds about right. And for anybody that doesn't think goats are capable of making a mess, I don't think they truly know goat behavior because that sounds all about right. Right. Um, my, one of my goats actually
1: headbutted a little dog that I was dog-sitting a couple weeks ago. Oh, no. <laughs> and it felt really terrible. It was this teeny tiny French bulldog. He came out to help ah. me with Jaws because he's really friendly and he loves the animals. And he's actually a really good goat herder. Uh, but one of my goats got annoyed that he was rounding them up and trying to put them in the barn stall. So she backed up and head-butted him.
0: <laughs> and I was like, ah, <laughs> no! <laughs> good thing they don't have horns. <laughs>
1: Right? Yeah, I was like, oh, thank goodness. I was like, I'm so sorry.
0: Your dog got
1: headbutted. And they just laughed. I was like, he was fine, I promise. But I didn't take him out for chores after that.
0: You need to send me pictures of that dog because it's like on my list of dogs that I want someday. So I'm very jealous of that whole situation.
1: Oh, (laughs) I will. And I'll send you the video of it. I think I got it partially on video. I ended up not posting it to my Instagram stories because I was afraid people would think that it was like dog abuse. Oh, (laughs) Because I was like, French bulldog helping me with chores. How adorable. (laughs) By the end, I was like, oh, this was not one of my finer ideas.
0: (laughs) All right. So we have a farm story this week from our Patreon drink sponsor extraordinaire, Elise Ferguson. Um, So thank you, Elise, for sending it to us. Um, And anybody else that has a farm story, make sure you send those to us. And you can email those to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com. And it can be funny, it can be sad, it can be heartwarming, it can be anything. If if you have a story that you want to share, we will most likely read it on an episode. Snuggle in for story time, folks. (laughs) Once upon a time, a farm boy married a suburban girl and they lived in the suburbs. Then they had a kid and decided to move to the farm. They didn't set out to run a giant cat colony. In fact, in all their years of visiting the in-laws on weekends, there never were cats because the farm dog didn't allow it. Until the farm dog got older and lazy and cats started showing up. But the farm is on the highway and near other farms, so the cat population tended to manage itself pretty well. When the farm boy and the suburban girl moved across the highway from the farm, the farm boy found a kitten with some severe or serious conjunctivitis (laughs) and brought it home for the suburban, now farm, girl to mend. The girl kitten was thus named Jeff Jr. after the farm boy. Jeff Jr. had to be kept in the garage until she was ready to go outside on her own. Jeff Jr. obviously needed a friend, so to keep the bloodline more varied, they picked up a similarly aged kitten from the daycare lady. Their kids named her Elizabeth. It wasn't long before Jeff Jr. left the farm for parts unknown, and the farm boy found another abandoned kitten, which was named Scooby. Why does this farm boy think the farm girl needs more baby animals to take care of, but when it's the farm girl's idea to get more chickens or something, he balks. (laughs) <laughs> scooby had to be kept in the garage until she was ready to go outside and now one of the tom cats from the in-laws farms freddie found his way over and discovered a land of food and lady cats elizabeth soon found herself with child and by child i mean one kitten after she gave birth to stripes the farm girl kept her in the bathtub waiting for the rest of the litter when Moore didn't appear, she drove Elizabeth and Stripes to the vet for a C-section. Except there were no other kittens, and they were sent home. <laughs> <laughs> About the time Stripes was getting old enough to sterilize, he decided to hitch a ride in the undercarriage of the vehicle. In December, in a snowstorm. And he apparently jumped out one mile from home, never to, never to be seen again. A few weeks later... A found striped cat came up on Facebook. After bringing it home, it was quite clear that it was not our stripes, and he went on to be someone else's garage cat. Spring rolls around, and Elizabeth is with child again. This time, three babies. One did not make it, but the two that did thrived. It was a boy and a girl that took just like mom, that looked just like mom, named Razzle and Dazzle. All the while, the farm girl starts a Facebook group for her small town to act as a neighborhood group. And who shows up on the group as a found cat seven months after disappearing? Stripes. Razzle and Dazzle must have had a discussion with Stripes about his adventures because shortly after they hitched a ride and bailed at the same spot we assume Stripes bailed at. Luckily, they were found that day and with the help of the Facebook group returned home. I promise the Facebook group wasn't started just to keep track of the wayward farm animals. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a genius idea if it was. <laughs> yes. And just to put another straw on the camel's back, the farm girl is working away at her desk one day thinking, Hmm, was Stripes at breakfast this morning? When she gets a message from someone in the Facebook group asking asking if they should post a cat they found. A cat that looks suspiciously like Stripes. Again. When the farm girl goes to look at the last seen location, she can't find the cat. One last snoop around the area, and there's a striped cat sitting in the glass door of a flooring business looking proud of himself. A closed flooring business. Luckily, the florist shop that had spotted him originally called the flooring guy, who quickly came and unlocked the shop and let stripes out. But don't worry, this wasn't the last trip his last trip to town. He stowed away in Farm Boy's minivan just the other day, this time at least inside the van where he was safe and was able to just take a nap on the dash in the sun. And I'm pretty sure when they kindly messaged me to find out if they should post the found cat, they secretly knew we were housing a bizarre cat farm and it had to be our cat, right? (laughs) and lo but what happens next in our cat saga scooby makes friends with freddy surprise surprise scooby was a real bee and hated everyone one morning the farm girl is working away at her desk where she hears crying out the window and there's scooby giving birth on the front porch so she brought so she's brought inside and confined to the bathtub again and it's a good thing we have multiple bathrooms And she's confined there for the night before being put in the box out in the garage shed five kittens were born and scooby seemed like a pretty decent mom she rarely left the box and her babies nursed happily nursed happily around 2.5 weeks scooby must have went out for a little hunt or a happy hour with her gal pals and never came back so now the farm girl has to bottle feed five baby kittens Two baby girls found a new home quickly with someone who was already bottle feeding a preemie. The remaining three were hand fed and weaned. The two boys found a new home and the one remaining girl is staying here at the farm and her name is Whitefoot, AKA Scooby Jr. And because none of this is enough for one family, Elizabeth is a hussy and ended up having another litter for kittens one of which got adventurous the other day and ended up on the wrong side of the box, cold and lifeless. Luckily, the farm girl has OCD and checks all of her animals repeatedly throughout the day and was able to catch this baby and warm it up and put it back in with its mom, the nearly deadbeat mom at this point, so we are keeping her locked up in the shed with the kittens so she can't go off partying. The farm girl (laughs) does not want to have to bottle feed more babies. Get with the program, Elizabeth. The good news is we don't have any mice around here. I've been—I've seen both Elizabeth and Stripes take down birds nearly bigger than they are. We will be getting Razzle and Stripes sterilized as soon as I'm think, And now I'm thinking Elizabeth as well since she's such a crappy mom. And if Freddy is around when I'm rounding up the cats for the, vit- for the vet, he's going too. And if you're inter- interested in a child-friendly kitten, you know where to find us. The youngest farm child is a cat whisperer and frequently featured on my Insta stories. So that made me feel like less of a crazy cat lady. So thanks, Elise. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'll make my husband read that if he's giving me shit about my farm cats.
1: (laughs) Gosh, I wish my farm cats would take care of the mice. My farm cats are not. The greatest farm cats yet, but they're still babies. Although I did notice that the boy, I can see the outline of his balls now. So Uh I think it's time to take them to go get sterilized. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think the rule for that is like two pounds
1: or when they're
0: like six months old.
1: Okay, Yeah. When I called, I called as soon as I got them to go have them fixed because I was like, I do not want kittens around here. Like Mm -hmm. Jared would have a shit fit if we started having kittens. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, oh, they can't be fixed until they're like five months old. I was like, oh, I guess I'll. Call back in four months,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you got to watch How it am I too. Remember this, <laughs> you got to watch it too because if they're in their heat cycle, if the female is, they can't fix her while she's in her heat cycle. Or most vets will Oh, won't. so I you didn't just want to keep an eye on it, yeah? Because Bianca here, one of our indoor cats, we waited a little too long, and she went through two heat cycles, and Ugh. they just get loud. <laughs> okay,
1: she isn't very loud, but <laughs> Aurora came to me the other day and said shadow stinks he needs a bath and i was like oh <laughs> that just means that he's you know like he's, he's starting aging. to spray yeah <laughs> yep and i kind of think i smelled it the other day because he jumped on my back like randomly mm. which was a little weird and i'm like oh god i gotta make an appointment and get you fixed <laughs>
0: Yeah, he might just be getting into something, too. He could just be rolling around in something. You just never really know with them because Mr. Shelby is not fixed because my husband keeps telling me he's not my cat, but he is my cat. Um, he lives on the porch. <laughs> but he'll spray things sometimes, but he usually doesn't have a strong odor to him. So it just probably depends on what he's getting into. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for sending that story, Elise. That was fun. Yeah, that was a good one. And now we're going to read this week's review. So we've been doing this for a little over a month now. So I'm not sure that we'll, we can continue calling it a new thing. But each week we're going to read an Apple podcast review um, from one of our les- listeners. And at the end of the month, we take those four or five reviews we read and we're going to put their names in a hat and then we're going to draw a name and that person will get an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. Um, So make sure you leave your Instagram Instagram handle name in the review or something that identifies you so we can find you to get your address if you do win.
1: And now for this week's review. The title of this review is amazing, and it is from Carolina Crazies. She says... Bev and Sam are so much fun to listen to. Great drink recommendations. The information shared is fantastic. Nothing better than farm information and drinking. The podcast group on Facebook is so much fun, too.
0: So thanks for leaving that, Carolina Crazies. I'm pretty sure that's our friend Sarah that we met at Coop Camp, too, because I think that's her Instagram handle. So I'll have to do that. I think you check. are correct. So thanks, yep. Sarah. We appreciate it and you are our first review of november so you'll go into this month's drawing. but we do have the winner for october um, and that winner is jenna aka the grateful rabbitry over on instagram so congratulations jenna Um, i'll reach out to you this weekend to get your address so um, we can send you that mug as soon as possible
1: so just a little bit of housekeeping before we sign off for the day. Be sure and hit that subscribe button and download the episode when you
0: listen because this helps more people like you find us. Yes. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram and your stories and tag at Drink and Farm. If you do this, we're going to message you a promo code that is just for this episode um, and you'll be given a percentage off in our in our merch shop.
1: And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to the articles we discussed, a survey so that you can tell us how we're doing, and all of our social media goodness and merch shops. And Thanks,
0: guys. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we will talk to you next week. Yes. And until then, drink. Farm. And and give give zero zero clucks. clucks.
1: Bye, guys. Bye.
0: We drink things. We farm things. We drinking farm.